o'clock in the afternoon. Instead of in the morning. So let's take your bucks. Let's take your bucks. Let's take your bucks. Let's take your bucks. And turn to number two. While we be Into the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Verse 7 says like this, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, here's what I want to tell you. That I want to, there's three things that happened to me, three conversations that I had from more than one person. The first one was this, and it just shook my wagon until the wheels almost fell off. And I was like, for a whole week, I was marinating on what this story, this guy that just told me this story. And I'm like, this cannot happen in the church of God. This is not permissible. And there are many people who are sitting in our pews. I'm not talking about Valley Christian Fellowship only, but I'm talking as an Anabaptist church at large. Okay? Are you with me? At Anabaptist churches at large, there are people who name the name of Christ, who want to walk as the Bible speaks about, but there is sin in a camp. And I was like, this cannot be possible. So the first story, it goes like this. There's three little flips. I'm not going to go into all the details. But he said, this man told me, he said he has a relative, and I kind of know him, kind of thankfully. He said, he said, he has this, he has this relative in his side of the family, his mom's side of the family, or whoever, I don't know, in his family. We'll just put it down. And he says, you know, he, he's an older man, and there's sin in his life. He is accused of violating his daughters. His, and I always seem to realize, I always recognize, I kind of halfway know this family, that this family has a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And I'm like, ah, oh, I connected the dots. I now understand why this family is why they are. This man's an old man. He's been confronted about this sin. And he totally denies it. But the children said, it is true. There's, there was lawyers involved to keep this man out of jail. You know what? This man walks of the strictest of the strictest in our Anabaptist churches. We dress a little plainer. We put all these outward things. We perform better. That's number one story. Number two, and I say, how can this happen in our Anabaptist churches? How? Why? Why does this stuff go on? And you know what? If we are here to cover sin, it is not going to work. At the end of the trail, it will not work. It don't even pretend it's going to work. And we have to see for ourselves, it's okay. It's okay. Another story I want to tell you was this. And again, a short version of the story. This man had a dad who walked in his very sinful life. He didn't care about God. But again, he, he sat himself in, a, in one of our conservative Anabaptist churches. Never was born again, didn't pretend to be born again, but he went to church every day or every Sunday, so to speak, until the latter part of his life. At the end of the trail, at the end of the trail, he sought the forgiveness of God and could not find it. His son was rubbing his feet, and he said, and this is exactly what his son told me. He, at the end of the trail, when he was on his deathbed, he told his son, he said, lift up my feet, I'm sliding into hell. And then as he was rubbing his feet. He was praying for his salvation. The father was praying for his own salvation, which he could not find at the end of the trail. And he said, told his son, he said, lift my feet up a little higher. I am sliding into hell. And I'm telling you, these stories just shook my core to the very, shook my body to the very core. And these are the things I've been dwelling on for the last several weeks. Just Friday, I had a phone call with a, with a <clears throat> with a businessman trying to make his business deal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do we have a water boy here? Trying to make a business deal with this man. This man says, you know, if any, we got talking about he, the, the upcoming politic, uh, election and so forth and so on. And of course, this just shakes people. You know, there's the world is shaking like a, and the, and the spirit of people in the world is shaking like a leaf in the wind. Because they don't understand when you have security in Christ, let happen what may. We are under God's protection. And let what happen what may. It don't matter. But this man says, you know, he said, my dad, I think it was his dad, at least someone not too far in his, in his past, it's an old man too. And he said, told me this. He said, thank you. <clears throat> he told me this. He said, and then he said this. And this is where a lot of people in our churches that sit in our churches today, they go. 
I have been a good person. I'm a good performer. I can walk the walk. I can talk the talk. That's what they do. And you know, he had, he had it all. And then this verse came to my mind. After I got off the phone with him, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, after I got off the phone with him, this verse came to me just like very clear. You must be born again. You have to. It's not good. <laughs> We're going to run out of time. This is close to the priesthood. Okay? So this is what I just penned out. This just came to me. Normally I, I, don't, I don't write any notes, but as I was <laughs> sitting there this afternoon, I was just quickly penning down. This is what I penned down. Um, a lot of people in churches expect to go to heaven because they follow a set of religious principles. They go to church on Sunday. They say they don't lie, they don't drink, they don't steal, they live a good moral life. I said, ah, that's exactly what that guy told me Friday night on the phone. They, they work, they try to work for their, your, their own salvation. They're good performers. They say, I follow the Ten Commandments. All these types of things. Don't this all sound familiar? You know, in churches today, religion will leave you void, lonely, empty on the inside. Never satisfy yourself with, with it will never satisfy yourself. It will never bring satisfaction. You will always feel empty. It will fail you every time. These are just things, things, things that I penciled in. It is an endless, vicious cycle. Only Christ can fill the void. Why do people go around looking to fill something, a deep void within themselves that they can never fill. Only Christ can fill them. <clears throat> the devil has bound many with, with <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the devil has bound many with these types of things. Without Christ, all are centered, powerless to live a Christ-centered life. You know, I went through many years of watching people, why, oh why do they live powerless Christian lives? Well, the fact is, most of them probably were never born again. They never met the Christ who they need to meet that can just fill them. And you know, we prop these people up. They're dead. They're dead. You try to prop up this dead person, they're going to fall over. It don't work. We're talking dead spiritually. It don't work. And, and John, and uh, it takes Christ to make them alive. In John eight thirty six, it says. The Son, Jesus, therefore, shall make you free, and you shall be free indeed. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm not going to take the time to read that. It says He wants to transform you. He wants to save you. He wants to seal you. He wants to break the chains of sin that bind you. Then you ask the question. People ask questions. Then how can I be saved? Like Nicodemus of old. He said, how can I be saved then? And Jesus simply said this. You must be born again. So how do I get born again? And I just quickly come in three things here. Realize I am a sinner. Taken out of um, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, As is written, there is none righteous, no not one. Don't even pretend to be righteous. But you know what? I agreed determined years ago, if I'm not going to live for God, I'm just going to go live it out. I am not going to sit in a church and pretend that I'm saved and play the game. You know what? we got enough of those people. Yet the Bible says you must be born again. You know, we come to, many people come to church and we paste on our Sunday morning service like everything's good and cool. And you know what? We're empty inside. There is nothing there. We are empty. The second thing, you cannot save yourself. You know, many people in our day and age, in our churches across this land, we try to save ourselves. And Isaiah 64, 6 Let's just turn that. In Isaiah 64, 6. What, is this, what does it tell us? It says like this. But we are all unclean. We, it, we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness as filthy rags. You know, in God's eyes, we are nothing. It is just empty. In God's eyes, your good works amounts to nothing at all. We have to recognize, the third thing, we have to recognize God is angry with those who continue in their sin. You know, you know, we have to recognize the Bible says that the very plowing of the wicked is God hates the wicked. And the very plowing of the wicked is sin. In, in, in Psalm 7 11 it says, God judges the righteous and God is with angry with the wicked. What? Every month, every year, what does it say? 
every day, every day, God is, is angry at the wicked. But here's the good news for you. Here is the good news. Write this down. God is an infinite, has an infinite love for you. Repent, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten what? Angel? His only begotten son. That, that we through him can have eternal life. Repent and believe in Jesus. Believe in God for salvation. Nothing else will, will work. Totally rely on the payment of Jesus made of Calvary 2,000 some years ago. Turn to Jesus today and ask Him to save you from your sin. Read, read um, Romans 10:13, 2 Timothy 2:19, John 3:7. Marvel not the law that um, that what God can do to you and how He can change us and to make Him more like ourselves. You know, in Isaiah 55:6 it says, "Seek the Lord while He may be near, while He may be near." While he, sorry, while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. That's how you call upon the name of God. Like this old man who went to his deathbed. And I asked him, I said, did your dad ever said? He said, you don't know. Those are the last words he had. You don't know. But you know what? He did not seek the Lord while he was while he could be found. He did not call upon him while he is near. He just he just continued to push him off to the side. Psalm 95 8 says, Harden not your heart. There's a reason why the Bible says all these things. And uh, Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is nigh to, unto all of them that call upon Him, and to all that call upon Him in truth. In Isaiah 57.15, let's turn to that thing. Isaiah 57.15, let's see what it has to tell us here. It says like this, for thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth an eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and a holy place. And with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite one. I like that. I like that. To the high and the lofty one. Psalm 51, 17 says, Though a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 12, it says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day. Not tomorrow, not by the end of the service, but today. Now is the day of salvation. Don't push it off. People have done that. They have gambled with God. They lost. Some, some God in His great mercy gave people time. Gave, extended His hand. He still stretched out His hand. There's people who in their deathbed have come to God. And, there's a death, and, and I am not here to try to even remotely tell you why God extends his hand to some and others he cuts it off. I don't know. I am not here to try to, try to um, advise, counsel God, and tell him what to do. Let God be God. And that's the next phase of the sermon. We're going to run out of time. I can let me see that. We are going to talk about the attributes of God. I have 26 attributes of God. We are going to talk about. I have, I have. So that's why that's why I sent a, a text around, a mass text, telling you, bring a piece of paper and pen. I don't want you to look up these verses. We're not even going to bother. We only got half an hour left. I'm not even going to bother trying to, trying to look up all these verses. But you know what? It's the power of God's Word that is going to keep us on a straight and narrow. It is the power of God's Word that is going to help us in this day and age. I listened to a sermon, a little bit of a clip of a sermon this morning by um, uh, whatever his face is. And he said, you know, how are we going to... I wrote it down so that was really good. How, how can, what can believers do in the days of apostasy? And he went on to explain. He gave several reasons. What, what can believers do in the days of apostasy, a days when there's, when there's a way from God, when the churches are emptying out? What can we do as believers, as people of God? You know what? We have to stay in the written word. And by the way, brother, I, I said I predetermined before I even got up here, to, you know, the second guy that sits in the front bench, you raise your hand when it's 12 o'clock. That's your responsibility. So if it goes over that, he's, he's, he, you can blame him, okay? You got that? Thank you. Because I will lose. I already lost the track of time. Okay. I still carry this one. Okay. I have 26 things. 
26 items of the attributes of God that I have penciled down. And we, like I say, we only got about a half an hour left before you, and you know what, if it gets really that's when you stand to your feet. Okay? <laughs> so, I, I got these in alphabetical order, and uh, why the attributes of God? You know, here, this goes along with my little pre sermon talk. I think many times we lose sight of who God is. We don't understand who God is. I don't understand who God is. But you know, these, two, these 26 attributes of God that I have penciled in, Write them down, and I'll try to repeat them at least twice. If we understand who God is and the maker of this vast universe and who God make, and who God means us to be, it will behoove us to fall down and worship and be everything because he deserves all your worship here this morning. This God has caused me problems. Okay, so understanding the very small edifice, the very small degree of who and what God is. Our God is amazing. He is zealous for all to come to know Him. Okay? You know, you know, when we're zealous to learn to know people, we want to interact with them. We want to call them. We want to talk to them. And we want to do all these things because we want to learn to know them. Young men, you know, if you want to learn to know who a girl is, you're going to spend time with you're going to figure it out, you're going to do your homework, and you're going to do all these types of things. You're going to shoot off a few, few um, texts, you're going to shoot off some emails, you're going to have some dialogue going on. You want to know what they're like. And girls, young ladies, you're going to try to figure out who this guy is all about. Right? You're going to do some homework, you're going to ask your pastor, you're going to ask, you know, you're going to, you're, hopefully your dad's do some of the homework, help you do some of the homework. Because you want to know who they are, who they really are. And you know, we as guys, we're going to put our best foot forward. And you know, it works on the, both, on the other side too. You're, the girls are going to put their best foot forward. You know what? But you know, eventually, the real person comes out. We finally, we, we see who the real person is. You know, when I first got married, they talked about, you know, you think you're in love now, you just wait until, until you're 20 years old, 20 years into, 20 years into the into the marriage. And you know what? That's how I find it. You know, yes, we, we loved each other back when we were in 96 when we got married, but you know what? You know, it's a lot deeper now than it was. It's just surface, you know, looking back. You know, it, you know everything has to go down that road, so it's okay. It's okay. Okay? So let's learn to know who God is. Let's start with A. Write this down. And you know, you can just close your Bibles. I'm not going to be offended. And I want you to write these 26 cents down. We're going to quickly go through them. A. He's the Alpha and Omega. The Bible says He is Alpha and Omega. So He is the beginning. He is the end. There is no one before Him. There is no one after Him. He is the one who sets on the phone. Revelation 22.13 gives, gives me gives um, thought to that. In Revelation 22, 13, it says, it says like this, I am Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There is no one else. Okay? The B is bountiful. He's a bountiful God. I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to read a few verses here and there so we can get this all down straight. Taken out of Haggai. Let's see here. Haggai. Two. I'll get there. Just bear with me a little bit. Verse 8. And it says like this. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. He's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible talks about. He's the one that has it all. Peter, when he went to went to the, to, to the healing of a, of a man who wanted healed, he said this. He said, gold and silver I have none. But what did he have instead? What did he have? Anybody? What did he have? You don't know? Dennis. Silver and gold, I have none. He had the Spirit of God. God has, I mean, God, he's rolling out the gold and picking up in heaven. He don't need it. He don't need our resources here. He has it all. He's a valuable God. He owns the cattle by a thousand hills, like I said. See, for Charlie, for Courageous. He is the creator. In the beginning, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And you know, that is one thing we will never get away from. You know, I have often wondered this. God, why did you, some 6,000 years ago, create the earth? If you are the alpha in the beginning, if you were at the very, at the very onside of the time, I don't want to use the word, the time for man's sake. If you didn't have a beginning, what, what, why in the world 
did you decide out of uh, six thousand years ago to start this earth? What the, what prompted you to do that? Why? I mean, it's but all I know, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. For the deed, he's a deliverer. He rescues and saves us. You know, back in Exodus 18, 8 and 10, it said it talked about how let's just turn there. In Exodus 18, 8 and 10, it says like this. And Moses told his father-in-law all that God had done. And they were having a dialogue with him. Moses was having a dialogue with his father-in-law. And he was telling just like we met. We do. We tell our stories and what's all going on and so forth and so on. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all that travail and had come upon him by the way. And how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who hath delivered his people from under the hand of Pharaoh. That is great rejoicing. And how much more important it is for us to be rejoicing that we are not under the hand of the enemy Satan himself this morning. Those who call themselves the sons of God and the daughters of God. Praise Jesus. God is a, God is a great deliverer. Who's in, in Nebuchadnezzar when he when he made the fiery furnace? You know, in Daniel three, <clears throat> he asked this question. He told he made the, he asked this question. It was more of a statement in Daniel chapter three. Verse 15, he was mad, he was upset because these men would not bow the knee before his glorious, what he thought in his mind, a glorious idol. And he asked this question, and who is that God that's going to deliver you? And the same chapter, just a few verses after that, chapter um, chapter 3, and um, a few verses after, like I said, verse 29, then he says this, he makes this statement. He said, there is no other God who that will that can deliver like your God did. Putting in among words. That's how fast he changed. When he saw the hand of God at work, he is the great deliverer. For he, he's the everlasting. Psalm 92, 92 chapter. Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The psalmist is recognizing that God is from eternity past, the eternity future, and eternity now. There is no end. He is the Alpha and Omega. For F, the Father, He's a Father to us. He's a personal Father. He's a relationship Father. He's a caring Father. He cares about you. He's a Father that wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved in what you're doing. He, gave, he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Taken out of Mark 13, 11, or sorry, Luke 13, 11, 13. Let's read that. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke 13, verse, Mark, sorry, Luke 11, verse 13. It says like this. He said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Did you ask for the Holy Spirit? I have asked for the Holy Spirit to anoint my heart, to anoint my mind, to anoint my, my mouth that I can speak this morning. For G, so we're now at the letter G. For G, He is gracious. He grants us blessings that we do not deserve. You are granted blessings in your life that you and I do not deserve. He is a gracious God. In Psalm 145, verse 8, the, the Bible says that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Isn't that nice? Isn't that, isn't that what I like? You know, we as men sometimes, we, we get upset because things are going wrong. Maybe we smash our finger. I don't know. You know... Am I slow to anger? You better ask my wife and children. I don't know. I want to be slow to anger. I want to be great in mercy toward other people. Let's turn to Ephesians 8. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. And it reads like this. Ephesians 2. 8 and 9. And it says like this. For by grace you are saved through faith. Faith. That not of yourselves is a gift of God. 
God works as enemy as you boast. The, the, the next one is H. And this is, this is uh, the healer. God's a healer. And in Exodus 15, and in verses 22 through 26, it talks about they, the, the, they had this great... Let's just turn to that. Let's just turn to that, to those, turn to that for those who care. In Exodus 15, and this is talking about... This is the account where they had this great... Uh, let me see if I can get this all straight here. And uh, this is when it came out of, uh, they were singing the song, they were singing and dancing, they were making all this racket because they just came through the Red Sea and they were riding high, so to speak, their sails were set high. And then verse 22, it says like this, it says, And Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no watcher. Now the story changes God. They were just singing and praising God for great deliverance. And now the story changes. Can you imagine? And it says, When they came to Murrah, they could not drink of the waters of Murrah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was called Murrah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which he had cast into the waters. The waters were made sweet, there and he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sights, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes. And then God says this, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth Thee. The Lord is our healer. You know, there's different, there's many of accounts where, where Jesus, he healed, he healed people. Take it out of Matthew 12, 15, Matthew 14, 14, Matthew 15, 30, Luke 9 and 41. There's amazing healings that went on. I think God is still in the healing business. But you know what? He wants to heal our hearts this morning. He wants to make our hearts perfect toward him. He wants to heal the sin-sick soul here this morning. We need healing in maybe more ways than one. Maybe more so in a, in a spiritual sense than, a, than in a physical sense. And then Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and great of great power. His understanding is infinite. That's for I. Infinite. He is infinite. Verse, and, um, that verse that I just read. <clears throat> he is not limited by time and space. So let's seek Him. In all things, He is able to help. He is an infinite God. Like I said in, in Psalm 147.5, God is our, great is our Lord, and the great power His understanding is infinite. There is, he's not limited like mankind is. He, he can express Himself. Way, he can probably tell us in eternity. He can answer these questions that have an eternity. God, why did you decide 6,000 years ago to start this earth? Why did you throw the stars out there like you did? Why did you do all these things? But you know, at that point, that, it really don't matter anymore. You know, let God be God. I've said that many times. Let God be God. He is, for the J, He is a just God. Let's turn to Isaiah 45, 45, verse 21. So there, sometimes I wish I could run a computer and I would just write these verses out. I could you could, you could uh, buy so much time. Verse 21 says, Tell ye and bring them near, yea. Let them take counsel together. Who have declared his end from ancient times? Who have told of it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else besides me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. That's God saying that. There is no one higher. You know when Lucifer, he tried to climb the stairs and be equal to God. God says, no, there's only one throne. And he threw Lucifer out of heaven. There was war in heaven. There's all these things. For the king, let's look at the king. The God is a king. This is an attribute of God. In Revelation 17, in Revelation 17, there is a time or space allowed to talk about who God is and his one. We are not even going to remotely scratch the surface 
But I just want to give you a little insight, a little tidbit of what the scriptures talk about God and who he is. In Revelation 17, verse 14, it says like this, And they shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him shall be called the chosen and faithful. You know, are you with the Lord this morning? That's what it says. You know, and they that were with him are called the chosen and faithful. Are you there? You know, there's, there was war in heaven with the Lamb. And the, and the Lamb shall overcome. Christ is going to overcome someday when the trumpet blows. Maybe before, I don't know. But hopefully he is overcoming you. In Revelation 19, 16, it says like this. He said, and he had his on his vesture, and on his, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. God, one of the attributes of God is that He is King. And no one will take Him out of kingship. He is going to be King. He is King. And you know there's many times that man has tried to replace God with all sorts of things. You know the communists have tried it. Everybody has tried it. They have, the Bible says that God is not going to be mocked. And you know what? You Let's live a life that honors Him. For El, let's look at El. And uh, He's the Lamb. He's a Lamb. In Revelation 5, 5. What does it have to tell us? <clears throat> Revelation 5, 5, and it says like this, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, and the root that David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals that are up. And I don't, I don't even promote to, to try to tell you what all these seals mean and so forth and so on. I would like to educate myself. But you know what? There was no one that could open these seals, but if the word went out, we not behold the line of the tribe of Judah. He is the one that can open the seals. He is the one that is that can do do the work. And John one, let's go back to John. John one, and it says like this in verse twenty nine. It reads like this: Behold, the Lamb of God. Just go read. It. Read it happen for the sake of time. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb. He's the, he's the one it's all about. He's the Lamb. Are you a Lamb this morning? Are you part of the are you part of the part of the lamb of the the uh, in this are you part of this here where the your sins are taken away? Are you looking to the Lamb of God to take your sins away? <coughs> and for him for merciful, he's a merciful Messiah. God is merciful. In Micah 7, in Micah 7, let's see what it says to tell us. In Micah 7, in verse um, 18 and 19, it says, Who is. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth the iniquity, and that passed by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retained not his anger forever, because he delighted in mercy. God is a merciful God. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and, have, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Now, isn't that a beautiful thought for some of us that were just way out there sinners? All of us. That he has cast, it says he will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And then verse 20 says, Thou wilt perform the truth of Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto the, our fathers in the days of old. Okay, M. Jesus as a Messiah. Let's go to John the Revelator, chapter 4. And it reads like this. 25 and 26. It says, And the woman said unto him, I know that they met the Messiah's coming, which is called the Christ. When he is come, he will tell us of all these things. And Jesus said unto her, She was right before the Messiah himself. And Jesus said, The one you are talking to, I am he. I am he. I am the Messiah. You know, she was looked, she didn't realize that she was looking, she was standing before the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus said, I am he. You, the one you were talking to, I am he. God is a nurturing God. Taken from Psalm 82. Psalm 82. God is a, mercy, is a nurturing 
God. God wants to nurture you. In Psalm 82, and, and uh, verses 2 and 3, it says, How long will you judge unjustly? Accept the persons of the, of the wicked. Selah. Defend the poor, the fathers. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy and rid them out of the hand of the wicked. And so forth and so on. You can read, you Bible readers can read, read yourself. He's omnipotent. Take it out of Revelation uh, again. Revelation 19. And it reads like this. Chapter 19, verse 6. It says, And I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Are you as part of that kinship? Are you making yourself ready? Are you ready for the marriage supper land? When he comes again, are your robes clean? Are your lives clean? Am I ready to meet him in the air? <coughs> so we looked at omnipotent. God is also, one of his attributes are, he is pure. He is holy. So for P is pure. He is, he is, he is uh, holy. He is set apart. And he, was, he is without flaw. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, Who will stand in the hill of the Lord? Who hath the pure hands and a clean heart? That's what it says in Psalm, in Psalm 24 and 3. That's who's going to stand before the Lord in this holy hill. For Q... Um, let's, let's look at pure. Let's, while we're here in Revelation, let's turn to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And it, said, and it reads like this. This is what it has to tell us. And he said, The four beasts which each have six wings about them, their eyes are full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Can you imagine to stand there... Um, they, they rest these these uh, four beasts, they didn't rest. It says that they did not rest day or night. And they are constantly saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which is and is, which which was and is and is to come. Can you imagine? My children say, when we do something over and over again, well, that's just boring. Well, can you imagine being in heaven with all these, with, with all these beings and constantly? But God deserves our worship. But you know... It, I cannot even grasp the thought of what he looks like or who he is. I have tried many times. You know, really trying to trying to imagine the holiness of God. And it should make us shake. And we would do the same thing. We would fall on our face and we would cry, holy, holy, holy. Okay. So we, God is a quiet God. God speaks through the quietness of our heart. He speaks through all the racket and the rustic ruckus out there. God often speaks to our hearts quietly as he did with Elijah in a still small voice. What were the four things? There was a there was a wind, there was an earthquake, there was a what was the other what was the other one? There was a fire. And God was in none of that. He was making it happen. But it says that God speak to men in a still small voice. And God is still speaking to you and I in a still small voice. He's a quiet God. And you know, God can speak in a still, quiet voice, in the din, in the ruckus of all, everything we're involved in today, and everything that's happening in our world today, God is still calling people in that still, quiet voice today, and calling people to himself. Okay, so he's a quiet guy. And uh, for our, let's look at righteous. God's a righteous God. One of his attributes, he's a righteous God. Taken out of Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. Let's see what they have, what it has to tell us. Verse 17. Job chapter 4, verse 17. And it says like this. Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? God's a just God, or a righteous God. Can, can man be more righteous than God? This is Elias. He's asking Job these questions. And you know, these are Job's, one of Job's uh, comforters that came and comforted him for, uh, for uh, several days. And he didn't say, you know, maybe it would have been better to just 
well, maybe you should just settle up your horse and go home. You know, you aren't really the comforter I needed. You aren't really who I need to talk to. You aren't helping the situation. I'm in pain. I have a lot of problems. I lost everything. I, but who are you? And you, you aren't sending nothing my way. I need something that's going to lift me up, something that's going to encourage me, instead of just sticking knife to me some more that already have all these problems. But God, but Job did not lose his focus. He still recognized that God gives, God takes away. Okay, where are we at here? What, which one are we ready for? Righteous, right? Okay. Romans 3.10, it says, There is none that righteous, no, not one. We already talked about it. Romans 3.12 says, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. For us. We're almost there. For us. He is the Savior. God, in one of His attributes, He is a Savior. Taken out of Matthew 1, verse 21. Matthew 1, verse 21. Maybe Bible readers, you all know what that verse I'm pretty sure I know what it, how it says there. Yes. And it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You know, wasn't that a beautiful announcement? You know, they had the children of Israel had to perform all these ceremonies and do all these things. They could never live above sin. They had these they had these things that constantly dragged them down. And now the good news trumpets out throughout the land and says, you know, she's, this lady is going to bring forth a son. His name is going to be called Jesus, and he shall save people from their sin. Hallelujah! We live on this side of Calvary. On this side of on this side of uh, the birth of Jesus, not on the other side, you know, and yet it comes with it, all of its other challenges. In Jude 24 and 25, Jude 24 and 25, Jude is found just before Revelation. Jude 1, well, I guess there is only one chapter. It says, "Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, this is a prayer, and to present you faultless before." The presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. So prayer. He's a Savior. Okay, so after S comes a T. So now we have, He's a true God. Taken out of Revelation 22, 6. We have to hurry. 22 chapter, verse 6, it says like this in Revelation, he said, And he said unto me, unto me, These things are faithful and true. The Lord God is of the holy prophets sent his angels to show unto his servants the things which short must have done. And verse chapter, in verse 7 it says, Behold, I come quickly. And I still say, Behold, he, he, come, he will come quickly. He is a true God. So after the team we have... <coughs> Here, let's, uh, let's uh, look at a verse from John the Revelator. John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, Jesus is saying. There is no other gate. You know, there's other religions. They think that there, there's many ways to God. But I'm just telling you here this morning, under the authority of the Scripture, there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, His Son, and only. And don't ever try to convince yourself or allow other people try to convince you, or the devil try to convince you, that the greatest thing will try to convince you, there is many ways to God. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ, His Son. And that is the only gate there. You know, you know, you can go into other countries, and you can go through many tool gates, you can go through many, many border crossings, whether you're going to Mexico, or whether you're going to Canada, or wherever country you're flying to, you know, you can fly to this airport, that airport, and whatnot. But you know what? To a way to God, there is only one way, and that is through Christ Himself. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. Okay. He, for you, He's an unchanging God. Unchanging. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, we will see what God has to tell us there. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, verse 24, it says, Unto this, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he liveth 
He ever liveth to make intercession before them. He's unchangeable. He's not going to change. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change. And that is one beautiful thing in a day and age when, when, the, when the world is shaking, men of the world are shaking like a leaf on a tree on a windy day. You know, they're, 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 they're scared. What is going to happen with the election? What is going to happen here? What if, what if so-and-so gets in? Then what's going to happen? The wheel's going to fall off the train. You know what? God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's not going to change. And that is the security that you and I have as Christian God people that He is not going to change. He will be the same. He is the anchor of your soul. He is the anchor of my soul today. And we serve a God who does not change. And for 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 unchanging, for you, for victorious, for the bee. Victorious for the bee. God is victorious. And taken out of Chronicles, First Chronicles. Let's turn to First Chronicles. First Chronicles twenty-nine. Verse eleven. It says this. It says it like this. I know God is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as heads above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. Thou reignest over all. In my hand is power and might. And in thy hand is to make great and give us strength to all. That now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. This is a prayer that David that David prayed. He's the victor. In verse 10 it says, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, Father forever and ever. David recognized that God is a God who reigns over all. In verse in in, in first Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it reads like this. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, in verse 52, it reads like this. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for a trump shall sound, and the dead which shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And verse 55, get this good. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Verse 56, death, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But, 57, get this. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I changed it there a little bit. I don't think I did it just in Scripture. Let's turn to John, John the Revelator again. In chapter 5, chapter 5, it reads like this. In verse 28, it says... The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. Chapter 5, verse 28. And saith unto the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? He overcame the grave. He's the only one who, who was raised from the dead. You may say, hang on, hang on. What about, what about Lazarus? Lazarus was raised from the dead. If I ask for a raise hands, you don't raise your hand. But I want to tell you, where is Lazarus right now? Where is it? He's in the grave, but the Spirit is with God. What I'm saying is when Jesus rose from the dead, when he gained victory over the grave, he will never return to the grave. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Amen. You know these other these other religions that we have, their Lord, their King, their 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 God is in the grave. They have been there for many years. But we serve a risen, risen Lord that will never return to the grave. He is coming back someday to judge. He is not coming back as this, as this, as this lamb, as a, he's, as a savior. He's coming back as a judge. In Psalm 136:5, 5, it says, "I'm getting ahead of myself here." So we're at, we're at victorious, right? So what's the next letter? W. He's a God. He's a. He's, 
He's wise. He's God Almighty. It says in Psalm 136, verse 5, it says, The Lord, by His wisdom, made the heavens. Now, I like to, I like to study these galaxies a little bit. It kind of intrigues me, all the things that go on out there. You know, who is one who can scatter the songs of the song? Who, can, who is the one who can scatter the stars out there? And He knows them by name. Can you imagine? And he, you know, the, the stars, the Bible even talks about the stars singing the song. What about that sound like? You know, God may be, you know, I bet they all sing in perfect harmony. You know, they got the outdoor and the strand and the bass going on. You know, what does that sound like? Maybe someday we'll, we'll figure out what that sounds like. Maybe someday God will give us a glimpse of what that all sounds like. In Proverbs 2, verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that wisdom sounds like? You know, when God gives us wisdom, whether it's in the middle of the night, during the day, you know, in 2 Chronicles 1, 8 and 10, you know, when Solomon was, was um, ordained king, uh, ordained king or made king, <clears throat> he felt very small in, in this sight. He said, how can I judge this, this multitude for number? So what did Solomon do? He asked God for wisdom. And you know, maybe that's what we need to do. When we become up to a place in our life, in all places, so to speak, when we need to ask God for wisdom, God, how would you do this? What would you do here? What, what can we do here? What, where do we go? It's like this story I once read some time ago. This man was in a prison, and God told him, he says, open the door and go. No, I can't open the door. The, the door's locked. I can't leave this prison. He lived in a persecuted country. And this, this voice came to him, I believe, three times. He said, go to the door and open the door. It will unlock. So he opened the door and unlocked. Well, God, there's guards here. You know what? He walked right out of prison. A modern-day Paul, so to speak. He walked right out of that prison. He got on the street. They picked up. Somebody picked him up. It was all divine appointment. God, he, gives, he, he can shut He can. Shut the eyes of the guards. He can do all these things. You know, I have to thought of these poor Christians in, there, in these persecuted countries. What would happen? What What would happen someday that God would reveal to their persecutors exactly what happened? What would happen? I have no clue. I think it would be kind of neat to, to show that, you know what? You are who you think you are. I am God. And I am sovereign. You are... You're, your program isn't your program is very inferior to who I am. And James 1 5, what does that say? I hear that quote many times. And we're gonna get this so we can read it right. James 1 5 says like this. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. In verse 6 it is, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And that word wavering means nothing doubting. You want wisdom from God, you ask, and you don't doubt that he's going to give it to you. God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you understanding. For X. What's this guy going to say for X? Right? What's this guy going to say for X? Excellent. Nope. This is a Greek word, and I'm going to try to pronounce it. Okay. Extra philosophies. I don't know how to I'll spell it for you, okay? That you wise people and tell me how I had to go to Wikipedia and see what it meant. It's an 
organism that can grow and reproduce in conditions with very little available water? Can you grow in your spiritual life with very little spiritual water? The Bible says, even when they were most thirsty, Jesus promised to give living water. In John 4, the Revelator, in chapter 4, it talks, I've got to hurry, this young man's going to be standing to his feet. John chapter 4, 13 and 14, it says this. It said that Jesus the answer said to whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He was given this, this lady at the well some water. In verse 14, he says this. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. But whosoever thirsts of the water that I shall give him, he shall never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall be in the be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus wants to give you water. What's he going to say for why? What's he going to say for why? What's this guy going to say? What are we going to put there for why? Yahweh. Can anybody tell me what it is? Can anybody tell me what Yahweh? How do you pronounce it? Yahweh. What does that mean? Anybody? Almighty God. And, 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 it's, and, and the word, and that word is not found in the King James Version, so to speak, but in Exodus 3.14 it talks about, and Psalm 83, verse 18. Yahweh, I, the great I am, says about, it, it talks about God. That's what it's all about. And there's ten things I just want to, I couldn't want to go over, but we'll say that. Let's go to Z, just in case we don't get that. In case this young man is standing to his feet. For Z, we're going to talk about zealous. God is worthy and deserves our worship. He wants zealous. He is a zealous God. This is one of his attributes. He desires me to know him. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? For 2 Peter 3, 5 and 9. Revelation 3, 19 through 22. And I'm going with this. He wants you to come to know him personally. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus. Commit your way to him. All other roads lead to destruction. He's zealous that you know him. Now, what, now let's go back to these ten things of Yahweh before this young man stands to his feet. I'll just quickly read that. And I'll just give you a short burn. A short form. For the first one, he, had, he, he never had a beginning. God never had a beginning. He never had an end. He is an absolute reality. God is utterly independent. He don't need no counseling. How many times in our prayers we're counseling and giving God wisdom and all this stuff that God God's like, you know what? Just relax. I got it. I got it. I, I understand it all. You, you just rely on me. God is utterly independent. He needs no counseling. Everything that is in the fifth thing, everything that is not God, God depends totally on God. Everything that is not God, get this and get it good. Everything, I had to read this multiple times, so I finally got it. It says this, everything that is not God depends totally on God. Did you get that? Everything that is not God depends totally on God. You got that? Amen. The sixth thing, all the universe is by comparison to God is nothing. All that we're, are, we are amazed by in this world, in the galaxies, is Compared to God is nothing. So all these things out there that we look at, that we like, and we sit back through our binoculars and our scopes and we like, wow, that's amazing. But to God it is nothing. He made it all. The seventh thing. God is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, for eternity. God is the absolute standard for truth. God is the absolute standard for truth. The ninth thing in this Yahweh. God does whatsoever He pleases, and it is always right, beautiful, and always in accord with truth. Remember that. And the tenth thing of this thing, God is worthy and deserves our worship. Now, I'm done. You close your Bibles. Put your paper and note that away. I just scratched the surface of who God is. I cannot, you cannot, ex you cannot exhaust great God we serve. And the plan that God had for you and I. And it just makes me feel very small when I recognize 
all these things. And you know what? There's many more things. These things could have been put in different order. But you know what? We just put them in alphabetical order. And so as you go out this following week, I just pray that you will remember that, you know, God and all these attributes that are His, and plus many more, are who He is. And that should behoove us to give Him worship with our lives and the things we do and the things we say. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. We think that you are God, but we're all. There is no one that is higher. There is no one that has more wisdom. You gave the wisdom. You put the stars in the universe. And you call them by name. You got you. We are just going to allow you to be God in our lives today. And I pray, Lord, that if there is someone here that needs to get saved, if there is someone here that needs to rededicate, recommit their life to you, I pray, Lord, that they would take. Use of the time that we have. And Father, I just pray that this was an encouragement to your people this morning. That we will live lives that will honor you and that we will worship you in truth and spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you missed some of those, come to me afterwards and we'll try that again. Okay? Thank you.